Fantastic. Well, we're going we're gonna to jump into prayer this morning and, and talk a little bit about that. And this is really wrapping up the previous series that we were doing, uh, looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we've discussed at some length about how the early disciples devoted themselves. You know, so often we, we, we place a tremendous amount of weight on the sovereignty of God, as we should. But it's interesting when we look at the early church, God placed a tremendous weight on the decision-making power of those who called themselves disciples. It says in Acts 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves. This wasn't about the apostles chasing people up, getting them to sign up for things or doing those things. No, no, they devoted themselves to these practices, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, sorry, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit with you about the power, the extraordinary power of prayer. So what is prayer? Well, prayer is very simply talking with God. Everyone say talking with God. Like, and, and this is really important because uh, we sometimes think that there are so many different things to prayer. You know, like there's intercession, there's declarative prayer, there's thanksgiving prayer, there's a prayer of consecration, there's prayers of deliverance, there's warfare prayers. I mean, sometimes it can come across as being so complex. But let me say this to you this morning. Here's the key. doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're not talking to God, it's not prayer. If you're not talking to God, it's not prayer. And uh, sometimes our prayers are anything but prayer, if we're really honest about it. Uh, sometimes we pray at God. Sometimes we pray uh, for people. Um, sometimes our prayers are this activity that we do, which really have very little connection with God at all. And you and I both know what that's like. We've been in plenty of prayer meetings, I'm sure. And there have also been times, I'm sure, when we've prayed ourselves and we've gone, what am I doing? What am I saying? What is this all about? Yeah, prayer is, can be quite a hilarious thing. Have you ever, ever been prayed for by someone and you know full well they're not praying to God? You know, it's like, oh, oh God, thank you for Mike. Thank you, God, that you love him. And thank you, God, that you know what I said to him last week. And God, you know that he needs to change this in his life, God. And, and you know, God, as you know that your word says about the things that he has to do, Lord. I don't know about, don't put your hand up. But, you know, I bet many of us can put our hands up. Yeah, I've, I've actually, actually, if we're honest, maybe not only have we been prayed for like that, but maybe we've prayed for somebody else like that. And if we're really honest, we're not, we're not praying to God. And, and I think that God is smart enough to know the difference, uh, if we are smart enough to know the difference. So, prayer can be pretty funny, right? Prayer can be pretty interesting. I want to show you this clip. I want to see if you can identify with any of these. Can we turn the lights off, please? And let's watch this. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, Lord Jesus, and all your wonderful Lord Jesus things that you, Lord Jesus, do for us, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, uh, I just want to thank you for Annie and Sarah and Molly. I know that with your strength, we can change the world. We can change the world. Woo! Mercury, Venus, Earth, 
Mars. And we give you the praise. Yes, Jesus. We cannot wait to see what you're going to yes. do today. And we are excited. Aunt Margaret's really nasty hangnail. And I worship you forever and ever. God, I, uh, I just, uh, Um, toilet paper, deodorant. Speaking of, I need to get some more. Hey God, uh, thanks for bringing us here today. Thank you for all the stuff that you're gonna do in our lives. Uh, the way you're gonna work is absolutely amazing and we are super amped for everything that you hold for us. I just don't know what to say. Hey God. Man, you're great. Help me find a mate. Amen. Look at this. Salt, garlic salt, sea salt, kosher salt. God, just, just let your doves of knowledge flow from under our fingernails of repentance. So like prayer, like it's a, it can be a funny thing, right? Oh, he's still going on his list. But prayer is something that is so integral to what it means to follow Jesus. Why is prayer important? Why, why must we talk about this? You know, the upper room event in Acts chapter 2 was a prayer meeting of 120 people who had spent a lot of time together. And it changed them, and it changed the world. You know, every major advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ in history began with a persistent upper room prayer experience somewhere. Some of you will be familiar, if you've done any church history, with the Moravians. The Moravian community was a small group of believers in a place called Hernhut in eastern Germany in the 1700s. It was led by a, a, a wealthy landowner called Count Zinzendorf, which is such a cool name. I wish I was Pastor Zinzendorf. Um, but during its first five years of existence, this settlement, uh, which came together to try and be a community of disciples, they showed few signs of spiritual power. And by the beginning of 1727, this community of about 300 people were having major problems with dissension and arguments and bickering amongst themselves. Count Zinzendorf and several other leaders made the decision to covenant themselves to prayer and to pray for a renewal and revival amongst the group of people. And on May the 12th, after several months of regular prayer, something happened, and suddenly God was present in a new way. These Christians suddenly became kind of lit up with this new life, and, and all their bickering and all their differences just seemed to melt away. Many people were saved in that season. Looking back on that four months when God really presenced himself in an incredible way, Zinzendorf later recalled, the whole place represented truly a visible habitation of God among men. Now, on August the 27th of that year, 24 men and 24 women 
covenant themselves to spend one day, sorry, one hour a day in prayer each week. Uh, so each day. So each day they were setting aside one hour that they were going to pray. And they commenced this round-the-clock prayer watch, and slowly others joined them. And so that there was prayer going up to the Lord 24 hours of every day. And they specifically made the decision to pray for the forgotten people of the earth. That was their prayer. They didn't even know who they were. But they said, God, we, we're going to pray for the forgotten peoples of the earth. The astonishing thing is, is that continual non-stop 24-hour prayer meeting went on unbroken for 100 years. 100 years. By 1791, 65 years after the commencement of that prayer vigil, that small Moravian community of 300 people had sent out 300 missionaries to the nations of the earth to take the gospel. What is it? that so can change the culture of a group of people, that can so change the heart of an individual that they're willing to lay their lives down and take significant time out of every day to press into God. What is it that does that? Prayer does that. God said to Solomon, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, being a Christian, is, it's really just about a few things. It's not complex being a Christian. It's not easy, but it's not complex. It starts with faith. We're saved by faith, by trusting Jesus. It's a, it's a relational thing that happens. That's where it begins. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. They're putting our trust in Him, then this incredible transaction happens that because of his suffering on the cross, because he took our sin, our sin can be removed, our guilt and shame can be forgiven, and we can experience the joy of a new life in him, regardless of who we are or where we've come from and what we've done. And, and, it's, and it's this putting our trust in Jesus. That's where it all starts. We are saved by faith. And that leads us into this thing that the Bible talks about called eternal life. This life that is now, but also in the future. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life. So, so once we take a step of faith, then it's about being filled with the Holy Spirit, like we saw in Acts chapter 2 in the disciples in Pentecost. I mean, they'd, they'd had a measure of filling we read in the end of the book of John how Jesus breathed on them and they received the Spirit. But then something happened uh, in Acts chapter 2 uh, when they were immersed, they were filled, they were, over, they were overflowing with the Spirit of God. There was something different that happened there that absolutely changed them. It took that relationship with God to another level. And these first two things, they're all God, right? They're all God. They are His, uh, he, he initiated them. He made the way. Because of what he did on the cross, he made it possible for us to know him in this way. He left and went and released the Spirit to come be poured out on all of us. This is all God. Salvation is all God. The availability of the Holy Spirit for every one of us here today is all God. But then what happens is that God says, okay, now I need you to step in. Now we have to step up. And this is the other part of what it is to follow Christ. He made the way. 
but we have to make the decision to trust him. And then we have to be the ones in response to his incredible devotion to us. It's now our turn to devote ourselves to him. And that's on us. You see, there's only a few things that we have to devote ourselves to. Firstly, and most importantly, we have to devote ourselves to holiness. Holiness. Holiness Holiness is living for him according to his criteria, according to his agenda. Holiness can be best summarized in a word submission. Jesus Jesus was made perfect, was made holy through his submission, Hebrews tells us. And each one of us, every day of our lives, as we follow Jesus, we have to ask the question, am I wholly submitted to him? Because that is our response. It's to be holy in every area of our lives, in our thought life, in our financial life, in our sexual life, in our, in our careers, in our emotional life, in our spiritual life. We have to ask the question, are we holy? Are we submitted to him? Is he Lord of our lives? We sometimes make this delineation that he is both Lord and Savior, as if there is an option for one or the other. Scripturally, there is no delineation. He is Savior, and that makes him Lord. And he cannot be Savior if he, is, if he is not Lord. And so this morning, we've all got to ask, is he Lord of my life? Am I wholly submitted? Am I holy? We're made clean because of the blood of Jesus. We remain clean by being submitted to him in a faith-trusting relationship. And then adding to that, there's just a few powerful practices that we've been reading about in Acts chapter 2 that, that are not negotiable if we want to see God's plan and purpose and will worked out in our lives, right? And we've, we've talked about those at length. I must devote myself the apostles, to the apostles' teaching, which is the New Testament as we have it. The, the Bible as well, of course, because the Old Testament points to and prophesies and, and, and speaks to the New Testament. The New Testament interprets and explains the Old Testament. It's one book. But the point here is, is it's not about being devoted to my teaching or Pastor uh, Bob's teaching or Pastor Luke's teaching or anyone else's teaching. It's about being devoted to Jesus' teaching, to the apostles' teaching of all that they knew and understood about him. You see, the early church realized that if they knew what the disciples, what the apostles knew, then they could do what the apostles did. And so they're like, man, give it to me. Tell us about Jesus. Help us to understand this thing called the kingdom. How do we do this? How do we walk like he walked? How do we speak like he spoke? How do we love like he loved? Secondly, we have to devote ourselves to fellowship. The idea of of the Lone Ranger Christian is a complete fallacy. It doesn't exist and it doesn't happen. And any person that you see who looks like a Lone Ranger, they either have a massive support group behind them that you're just not aware of, or their trajectory is about to take a turn. Fellowship is absolutely crucial. And as part of fellowship, this practice of breaking of bread, of communion, where we build our fellowship not around a leader, but we build our fellowship around Jesus. That's what happens when we pause in our small groups or when we pause in a service and we take communion. It reminds us again that Jesus is at the center, amen? Jesus is at the center. And then lastly, we read in Acts 2.42 that it's about prayer, devoting ourselves to communion with Jesus. This relationship with God, prayer, prayer is what makes that live. 
You know, everything else in Christianity, everything else in following Jesus, everything else in ministry comes out of those things. Everything else flows from those few things that we must devote ourselves to in response to what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus prayed. In fact, Jesus prayed daily, we're told, just him and God. And he told us to pray. And he told us to pray without giving up. And he told us to pray just so God sees. And he told us to pray not to impress people. It doesn't impress God. You see, prayer is powerful not because of who is praying, but because of who is listening. Next, guys. Let me say that again. Prayer is powerful not because of who's praying, but because of who is listening, which is why if you're unfortunate enough to ever come up on a prayer line and find me praying for you, you're going to be disappointed. Because nine times out of ten, you're going to hear me say this. Hey, you know what? Jesus hears your prayers as much as he hears my prayers, so you pray for yourself, and I'll agree with you. Because the Bible says we're two or more agree on anything we ask, it'll be done, right? And I'm certainly not into propagating any sort of kind of weird thing going on where we allow ourselves the illusion for one second that God hears my prayers more than he hears your prayers. Because I'm not to be a mediator between anybody and God. Prayer is powerful not because of who is praying, but because of who is listening. And prayer must be the first thing we think of when we think about believing in Jesus. It's not an optional extra. It's not for when you just had a crisis. You know, someone once said that if you only pray when you are in trouble, you're already in trouble. You see, the great Christians who see God do great things, prayer is a priority one thing in their schedule. I, I love the story of Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, who, of course, uh, protested against the intimidating and corrupt and unbiblical practices of the Catholic Church, who was then, for the rest of his life, hunted down to be killed. And while he did this and evaded them, saw the Protestant Church birthed in a freedom of expression based on salvation by faith alone, according to the Scriptures alone. Not only that, he also translated the entire Bible into the common person's language for the first time and made the Bible available to everyday people. I mean, this guy had a full-time job. And yet when he was once asked what he had planned for a particular day, his reply was, work, work, from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. Do we, do we get that this morning? That actually the greatest things I do in life, the most meaningful things I do, the most purposeful things I do come out of my relationship with Him. I'm telling you, if you knew me before I knew Him, there was nothing special going on here. In fact, I, I, I still remember being in a particular conversation once when I was, a, I don't know, 19 or 20-year-old, espousing to all my friends my philosophy on life. And I remember saying to them, boys, I've worked it out. Here's the key. Go with the flow. I heard many years later that the only things that go with the flow are dead fish. Jesus made the difference. And Jesus still makes the difference. And I'm telling you, in your career, in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, in all of those things, when we understand that Jesus is the one who actually makes the difference, then we realize why we have to spend the first period of our day in prayer with Him, hearing from Him. 
Are there keys to prayer? Are there keys to how we can pray? Absolutely. Because most of us, most of our prayers are only for a handful of reasons. In, in reality, we, we pray for relationship uh, because we want to have a relationship with God. Maybe we're praying for needs because we have needs in our life. Maybe we're praying for somebody that we love, a spouse or a child or a friend who's going through difficulty. Maybe we're praying for forgiveness because we messed up again. Amen. Or maybe we're praying because there's something demonic going on, because it happens. And we don't think it happens a whole lot, but it happens all the time. One of the greatest things the devil ever got the Western world to believe was that he doesn't exist, which creates a beautiful smoke screen for him to operate behind. But I'm telling you, stick around long enough, you'll come across something you can't explain in any rational way if you haven't already. So for each of these things, I believe that there are there are important things for us to understand. So let me just take a few moments and just go through a few of these, and hopefully this will help somebody here. You know, for a relationship, number one, for a relationship. If you want to build a relationship with God, the key is be authentic. Be authentic. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is fascinating because he's talking about people who are calling him Lord. He goes on to say, These are people who cast out demons and perform miracles and do many amazing things. And I don't know about you, but this last seven days, when I go through my calendar, I can't see too many demons I've cast out, not too many miracles going on. So, whoever Jesus is talking to, they're pretty impressive Christians, at least to the outward appearance. And yet, Jesus goes on and says to them, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You see, we can, we can look good, we can have it all going on, but if we are not making ourselves known to him, if we're not developing an authentic, real, honest relationship with Jesus, then I'm telling you, it counts for nothing. And don't waste your life playing the game. And miss out on the most important thing. You've got to learn to be honest with Jesus. You've got to learn to be vulnerable and authentic. You know, one of the most powerful moments of my life was when I was a relatively young Christian. I don't know, five or six years uh, saved. I was newly married. We had our first child. Um, uh, first child, which means I must have, I was still teaching. I hasn't quite gone pastoring at that point. And I would go out early in the morning to pray. Early in the morning where it was dark. Because, see, I, I, I pray out loud. I believe, I believe in praying out loud. And so it's much better to do that in the dark, right, around your neighborhood, than walking around in the light, talking to yourself. People come in pick you up in vans and take you off to places with jackets with very long arms that lace up at their back. Um, so I'm out there early in the morning and I'm talking with God. And honestly, it was one of those times and I'm just, I'm so depressed. I'm so demoralized. I'm saying to God, God, I'm a terrible person. God, I'm a hopeless husband. God, I, based on how we're going so far, I'm going to be a terrible father. God, I think I'm a terrible Christian. I don't even know why you bother with me. This is what I'm saying to him as I'm walking through the streets near my home in the dark, all alone on a very, very cold winter's morning. And I tell you, in all of my years, that one moment stands out. Because in that moment, as I finished saying these things, I literally, in the dark, felt the tangible presence of Jesus. Like he was walking beside me. Jesus was walking beside me. And it freaked me out. And it terrified me. And I couldn't understand it because here I am at my, what I think is my greatest point of failure. And then suddenly God is present. And I felt him say to me, so you think I'm going to leave you just because you're having a bad day? And that was the point. That was the moment when I finally realized that he loved me. And it only happened because I got honest with him. 
I got authentic. He wants that from you more than anything else. Number two, the second thought is this. When you're praying for needs, be expectant. You've got to check the mailbox daily. James 1 verse 6 says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. You know what? Some of us have more faith in the New Zealand Postal Service than we do in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Some of us are out there. We're expecting a parcel from somewhere. We're checking our mailbox every day. Even though we, we know that the mail doesn't come every day, we're still checking every day just in case because we're so excited and yet we won't persist in prayer for more than a couple of days. You know, I've, I've become expectant over the years as I found out that God answers prayer. Many of you have heard the story of when I was a, a young man and I, I had, uh, I'd lost, I was a part-time job, I've been a Christian a short period of time, lost my job, and I couldn't get a job. I put CVs out at every place in the city I was in that could possibly give me a job. I had nothing. I'd run out of money. I was no longer able to pay my rent or my food. I was at the point of seriously considering having to leave my flat and go and live, I don't know, in a garage or under a bridge or somewhere because I couldn't let my friends down and this wasn't who I was, but I had no other options. And I was in my bedroom one day. And I apologize to those of you who have heard this story many times, but for those of you who haven't, I want to share this. I was in my bedroom and I'm praying because I had nothing else to do. I had no job to go to. And, and, and in the middle of my prayer time, I suddenly felt God say to me, you haven't thanked me. And I said to him, thanked you for what? And I felt God say, you haven't thanked me that I'm still in control. You haven't thanked me that I'm still on the throne. I got this. I'm working in ways that you can't see. You haven't thanked me that I'm still Lord of the situation, just despite the fact that you don't think that I am. And I honestly, I was so struck to my heart. And I got down on my knees like this. It might be, I got down on my knees, put my hands out, say, oh God, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry, God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. You got this. You got me. God, I thank you. You're not going to let me down. Thank you that you... And as I'm praying, the phone starts ringing. And I literally said, God, I, I just got to get the phone. I'll come right back. Stay here. Like I actually said that. Got up, went to, went to the phone, picked up the phone. <clears throat> and you know what it was, right? Of someone offering me a job, a job I had for five years, a job I wrote to, rose to senior management, and God brought the breakthrough. But God brought the breakthrough as I was expecting, as I began to thank him. Some of us have been praying for stuff for years and years and years. Can I say to you, maybe it's time to stop asking and start thanking. The third one is this, when we're praying for somebody else, be persistent. Be that a spouse, a child who's going through a tough time, a, a, a boss, a colleague, We've all got people at various times who are on our hearts. And can I say to you, when it comes to praying for somebody, you know, don't just, oh, yeah, okay, God, I pray for so-and-so. But if you're really going to pray for them, pray persistently. Luke 18, verse 1, And then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I remember I had a friend once who was always, he was kind of on the fringes, you know, of our young adults group, and he was struggling with faith and a bunch of stuff, and he got... He got involved with this girl who wasn't a Christian, and he just disappeared. And I tried three times, called him, made an appointment. Man, let's do coffee. I just want to catch up, see how you're doing. And he stood me up three times. And I got to the point, I realized he's not going to meet with me. He's so into this relationship, he's just ditched God. And I, and I went up after church one day, and I decided I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray until God does something. And so I, I got into my, in my little one-bedroom, my little two-bedroom flat I was in, and, uh, and it was after church. And I just said, God, I don't even know how to do this, God. So I'm just going to settle in. And God, I'm just going to pray. I need you to lead me if there's certain things I should be praying about. God, you need to drop it in my heart. But you've got to reach this guy, God. You've got to reach this guy. And I just started praying for him. And, uh, and just praying as I felt the Lord lead me. And I've been praying for like just about 45 minutes. 
and I'm still going. And I have no idea how long I'm going to be there, right? And, um, and I'm praying for 45 minutes, and suddenly these steps became, came pounding along the kind of out, outdoor balcony of my apartment, and then bang, bang, bang on my door. And I'm like, whoa, this is inconvenient. Like, I'm praying. And I get up and I go to the door, and who's there but the guy I'm praying for? He's standing at my door. His tears are streaming down his face. And this is what he said to me. He says, Mike, the whole thing with this girl, it all just blew up about 45 minutes ago. (laughs) Absolute truth. He says, Mike, I've got to get right with God. Will you pray with me? And I was able to lead him in a salvation prayer, lead him back to the Lord. You know, when you're praying for somebody, be persistent. Fourthly, when you're praying for forgiveness, have faith. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says, Everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. How many of us, when we muck up, we go to God, we ask for forgiveness, but we're not quite sure if we've received it. We're not quite sure if we deserve it. And so we live in condemnation and guilt and shame for days or weeks or months until finally it fades from our our mind when the whole point of this The whole point of what he went to the cross for is that when we sin, we can be free from that. We can be forgiven in a moment, and then we can pick ourselves back up and get on with the job of being salt and light in this world. Instead, the devil gets us into a place of condemnation, and we take ourselves out for days or weeks or months or years. Can I say to you, when you're asking for forgiveness, can you have a little faith? Do you know what I do now when I muck up? This is what I do. I go, God, I mucked up. I apologize. Please forgive me. Thank you. And then I move on. That's what I do. And I would encourage you to try that as well. Because his forgiveness for my sin has already been extended to me. It's just there. It's, just, it's ready. All I've got to do is come to him. God, I apologize. I repent. Forgive me. I receive that and I move on. You need to do the same. And then lastly, for the demonic, when it comes to dealing with the demonic, take authority. Take authority. That's what you've got to do. Sometimes we experience the demonic, maybe in our homes, maybe it's in certain uh, problems with people, maybe it's in others that we may be praying for. You know, Jesus never prayed about a demon. He never prayed about a demonic issue. Jesus simply took authority, spoke to it, dealt with it, and then moved on. We're not meant to live our lives looking for the demonic or being worried about the demonic. Jesus never did that. But if he came across it, he dealt with it, moved it out, and got on with what he was called to do. You know, I remember many years ago, I was, um, some of you don't know, but I was a musician, uh, somewhat poor musician, but I was a musician. And one year, uh, me and a buddy got accepted to play at what what was Parachute Music Festival. Uh, and so um, we were going, they were all excited. As it turned out, I ended up playing at the same time as Stephen Curtis Chapman. So no surprises, my crowd was a little small. Um, but it was a great time. My parents had just moved out of their house. My folks are committed Christians. And so this buddy of mine, we stayed in the empty house before we were going to jump in his car and drive, uh, drive off to, to Parachute Music Festival. And, um, and we're, we're sitting in the completely empty lounge of this completely empty house and as we're, we're praying, and we just took a bit of time, we're singing some songs together, worshiping the Lord, just sitting on the floor, had our sleeping bags laid out. 
then all of a sudden, in the, suddenly in the middle of this prayer, I had this picture. I had a picture of my dad's bedroom, and in this bedroom was this like a big white box, and the lid flew off this box, and I saw all these spirits come flying out of this thing, and instantly the temperature in the room dropped about 20 degrees. My eyes flew open at the exact same time. His eyes flew open. I said, did you feel that? He said, I sure did. What is going on? And I told him what I had just seen, And then God began to speak to us about what had happened. You see, my father and my mother, as the spiritual authorities in our home, they had left. That the spiritual authority in that place had gone, which then had opened it up again to the demonic, which then came into that home. And so we got up and we started to take authority and we dealt with the demonic. But here's, here's the thing. Many people have demonic issues in their homes and don't realize that they have to take authority over it themselves. You know, probably three or four times a year, It happens in our home. I don't know how it happens. But somehow it gets in again. The kids start having nightmares. Liz and me stop sleeping properly. Occasionally you start seeing things like out of the corner of your eye, but then you look and there's nothing there. There's a little bit of fear. It's just weird stuff goes on. And when that happens, it's time to take authority again. So I'll grab Lizzie. Sometimes we'll grab the kids. Sometimes I'll do it myself. But I'll just go through every house, every room and every space in my house. And I'll kick anything out that's of the demonic. And I invite the Spirit of God back in there. And who knows that from that night on, everyone sleeps peacefully again. The presence of God is back in our home. We need to take authority. And it's the same with dealing with the demonic in somebody's life. It's an authority issue. That's all it is. Jesus never got into a discussion with the demon. Don't get pulled into that kind of stuff. But the demonic is real. He intimidates. He brings fear. And many people live with the residual fear in their lives simply because they've never taken authority and dealt with that. And I can tell you another hundred stories like that. What does God want from us? He wants all the above. He wants us authentic in our relationship with Him. He wants us expectant in our requests to Him. He wants us persistent on behalf of others. He wants uh, us to be standing in faith for what He's promised us. And He wants us taking authority when needed over the enemy. This is prayer. This is what relationship with God looks like. And the power of prayer is found in spending time with Jesus. It's something that we just have to devote ourselves to. You know, there's no one like Jesus. Never has been, never will be. He is the most significant person in all of history, and He lives and He wants to know you. That's the astonishing thing. I don't know if there's anyone else out there who stands amazed that God would want to know me. Certainly how I feel, but He does. And he wants to grow me and he wants to flow through me and it's exactly the same for you but that only happens through prayer praying can be awkward pray anyway praying can be time consuming pray anyway praying can be frustrating pray anyway sometimes as Takbana says you got to pray until you pray what he's talking about is you've got to pray through the distractions. You've got to pray through the things that suddenly come into your mind that you've got to get done. You've got to pray through the stress of the things that you're not getting done until you get to the point where actually you start to have a conversation with God. You know, without question, the most creative part of my week, of any week, is when I take my time to pray. And when I pray long enough to get through the frustrations of not getting anything done, you know, according to my, my Microsoft Outlook, when I get through those distractions, when I stop 
noticing all the little things around me that I've never noticed before, like the picture on the wall that is strangely about one and a half degrees off. Gosh, I've never noticed that before. And the incredible urges to stop praying and going straight in that thing. I've never noticed that before in the last five years. Get on with it, Griff. Get your focus back on the Lord. Praying through those, getting past my usual lists of the things that I ask God to do for me. And there, somewhere in the midst of that, somewhere in that last 20 minutes of prayer, I start seeing things I've never seen before. I start thinking thoughts I've never thought before. I start having ideas I've never had before. That is the power of prayer. When I draw near to Jesus, He draws near to me. He is, and it is, the number one game changer in my life. But I have to devote myself to it. Anyone here willing to devote yourselves to prayer in some small, fresh way? Take some small, fresh step. Maybe tie a new habit in with an old habit. Find a way to build this in your life. In fact, why don't we just all quietly take a moment right now and pray. Can we all close our eyes just for a moment? You know, I just, when I was talking to the Lord about this service before, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, why don't you just why don't you just give us all a moment to talk? So come on, let's just close our eyes for a moment. Just where you're sitting in your own way and in your own time. Why don't you tell them how you really feel? Why don't you tell them what you're really worried about? Why don't you tell them what you really need? Why don't you listen and see if there's a whisper back? Many of us are going to hear from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.